Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, so as Helen alluded to there, we are starting a new, a new series at church this morning. So sometimes at Central, we like to dip into the liturgical, the traditional liturgical calendar, okay, to walk through um, seasons like Advent, Christmas, um, Pentecost, Easter. Um, this isn't about traditionalism, okay? It's not because it's something we feel we have to do. Um, it's because when we do that, it's, it forces us to slow down, okay, and to focus our attention on the story of God, okay? Um, to focus our attention on the story of God. Uh, and for the next while, we're going to journey through Lent, okay? Uh, and we're going to walk with Jesus um, from, from his ministry up around Galilee as he journeys down towards Jerusalem to Holy Week um, and Easter and crucifixion and resurrection. And this morning, okay, as we as we start that journey through Lent, we're going to take time to reflect on the place of temptation, trial, and testing um, in the life of Jesus and the life of his people. Um, so something to really lift their spirits, okay, as we follow from Isaiah 61. Uh, but the first thing I want to say as we come to your passage this morning, which is Matthew 4, 1 to 11, is that testing is normal for God's people. Testing is normal for God's people. And in fact, it's a normal part of everyday life. Um, I have a recurring dream, right, um, where I, um, the age I am now, but I'm back in school, right? Um, this is just a weird insight into my psyche, which I probably should have thought about before I decided to share. But I'm, I'm the age I am now. I'm in my school uniform. I'm back in school, right, being forced to retake exams that I've already done. And I have done no preparation for these tests, and I feel miserably. And then I wake up, um, usually with sleep paralysis and a, and a cold sweat, all right? Um, testing is scary, okay, um, but it's an unavoidable part of life. Uh, I'm just going to read... Um, Matthew 4, 1 to 11. If you've got your Bibles with you or on your phone, please follow along. It'll also be in the screen. Okay. The temptation of Jesus. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, I fear the Son of God, Command these stones, these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He'll command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then Satan left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Let's pray um, quickly as we, as we come to reflect on this text this morning. Um, Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the example of Jesus our Lord and the life he lived. 
what he did for us and how that also teaches us and what it means to live well in this life. I pray as we come to your word this morning, you would speak deep into our circumstances for your Holy Spirit. Meet with us again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there's an old Jewish proverb that says, my child, as you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself to be tested. As you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself to be tested. Um, Peter says uh, in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Testing is a normal part of what it means to follow Jesus. But all the same, it's natural to not want to be in those places and situations, which is precisely why Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I wonder... I wonder how many times Jesus uttered those words in the wilderness. How many times he lived those words before he taught them to his disciples. Testing is unpleasant. It was unpleasant for Jesus. It's unpleasant for us. But it also means we are likely in the right place. There are three things I want us to reflect on this morning from this passage. The first is Jesus' victory over the accuser. Jesus' victory over the accuser. What did Jesus come to earth to do, right? Big question. But in a nutshell, I would answer it like this. Jesus came to launch God's kingdom and to renew the people of God, okay? Jesus came to launch God's kingdom and to renew the people of God. And the that end, a lot of Jesus' actions had deep symbolism, and the first century Jewish person reading the first chapters of Matthew's gospel, the subtext would have been obvious. They would have instantly realized there is something else deeper going on in the way Matthew is telling this story than just the initial reading on the surface. They would have known and seen that Jesus was reliving the story of Israel. He's reliving the story of his people. Jesus is exiled along with Mary and Joseph into Egypt just as Israel had been taken into slavery in Egypt. And Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized and this act confirms his identity and purpose, okay? But it also echoes Israel's escape from Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea. And then he is in the wilderness for 40 days being tested. Now just like Jesus Israel were called to dwell in the wilderness, not for 40 days, but for 40 years. Very were tested and mostly failed. But as Jesus relives the story of his people, he is tested and he overcomes. Where Israel failed, Jesus is victorious. Where his forefathers gave in, Jesus says, depart from me, depart from me, Satan. And the devil flees. You see, the one we follow, and this is so important, guys, the one we follow has already demonstrated his authority, and he is already victorious over the accuser. Um, I played a saxophone from time to time, right? Uh, and one of the very first songs I learned was an old hymn, which is, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all harm, okay? Or Jesus, keep me from all wrong, right? I am weak, weak but thou art strong. You see, the world out there 
says we have in here what we need to get through every circumstance. If you don't have, if you don't believe that you do have the strength to get through it, okay, you're showing weakness, okay? We have it in here. Be true to yourself and you will never fail, right? That's a quote from a tribe called Quest, right? Um, but here's the thing. If that were true, Jesus wouldn't have had to come to us as a savior, would he? He wouldn't have had to come to rescue us. If we had in here what we needed to, um, uh, to get through to the other side, Jesus wouldn't have needed to say, follow me. He wouldn't have said, follow me, if we could reach our destination in our own steam. Okay, Jesus is already victorious over the accuser. And that sets the context for what we're going to think about next. Because the second thing I want us to reflect on is the resources Jesus drew upon. The resources Jesus drew on. Um, there are lessons from how Jesus approached temptation that can help us overcome. And straight away reading this, I see four resources Jesus drew on. The first was his identity, okay? Particularly his security and his identity. If we look back to Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized by John, okay? And his identity was confirmed by the voice of his heavenly father. He said, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. And I am certain as Jesus was led to the wilderness, those words of affirmation from his father were echoing around his head. Jesus knew who he was and whose he was. Who he was and whose he was. Um, I'm a youth worker, some of, some of you know. Um, there's, a, there's a young person, he's 11 now. I first met him when he was 10, and he's wild, right? He's just one of those. He's adorable, but my goodness, you do not know what he's going to do or what's going to come out of his mouth. All right, and one time we challenged him, okay? And this guy, he's from a notorious family. His name, um, his surname, as soon as you hear it, right, everyone in the community is like, well, that's why he does it. And one time I challenged him and says, why do you do, act like that? And he says, well, you know my second name. You know who I am. This kid um, was living according to the identity that had been put in him from his family, okay? And it's easy for us to do that. But my challenge, okay, is this. But we will not live according to what people have spoken over us, okay? But instead, just as Jesus was secure in his identity, we would be secure in our identity in Christ. But we are children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, co-heirs with Christ. So remember who you are and who you belong to. You see, what we believe about God determines what we believe about ourselves, doesn't it? If we are trusting in God, we are also trusting in what he says about our identity. The next resource Jesus drew on was his sense of vocation, his sense of vocation. Jesus knew what he was living for, okay? He knew the work he had been set apart to do. He had come to be the Messiah, to defeat God's enemies, to renew God's people and launch his father's kingdom. Now, we're not messiahs, thankfully, right? But we are still set apart by God to do his work. And this is often the big question we're forced to wrestle with, okay, as we grew up. Um, what on earth am I put on earth to do, right? What on earth am I put on earth to do? That's what vocation is about. That's what we feel our sense of calling is, 
right? And I do believe that each of us is called to live a unique life, okay? A, a unique individual life that will contribute and bless this world in unique ways that are particular to us. But I would call that vocation with a small case, V, okay? It, it's less important than vocation with a big case, V, which is, which is who we are called to be when we come to follow Jesus, okay? When we give our lives to him, we are called to be witnesses to the risen Lord. We are called to be servants of God. We are called to seek his kingdom and his righteousness in all things, okay? So our small V vocation will always be dictated to by our big V vocation, okay, which is about following God and being his servants. Um, there are two scenarios um, that I often face, right? And, and the first are the days when I have nothing to do, right? Um, when I'm just alone in the house. Um, and Lindsay can tell, confirm, but on those days when she comes home, I'm usually in file form, okay? Um, the second scenario um, are the days after I pour myself out. Um, those are the days when I crash. Um, those are the days when everything goes wrong. And I think that's why Jesus sought quiet places to intentionally be alone with his father. You see, in the middle of the work, we can forget what we're working for, can't we? And when we're mindless, that's when it's easy to slip up. Um, George Miller uh, was an incredible man of God from the 1800s, and he was particularly famous for his prayer life and his quiet times. And he said this once when he was asked um, what was it he sought to do in the morning when he prayed and met God? And he said this, the first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. The most important thing isn't thinking, Lord, what do I need to do for you today? And how am I going to be equipped for that? It is being happy in God's presence and in how he delights in us. The more we intentionally take time to be with God, simply to enjoy his presence, the more prepared we will be as we face the trials that will come our way as we serve him. The third resource Jesus draws on is the word of God. The word of God. Jesus famously quotes scripture back to Satan. Um, Again, another young person uh, with an incident a couple of weeks ago where two young people brought like uh, road cones um, in the youth center, right? Um, which ultimately ended up on the roof. Uh, but before that, they were using them kind of as megaphones. And uh, one kid was being genuinely hilarious with the stuff he was saying and people were kind of laughing and responding to that. The other one, what was coming out of his mouth was just pure vulgarity, like it was awful and he wouldn't stop and ultimately we had to ask this kid to leave because of the things he was saying and he couldn't understand how what he was doing was worse than the kid. He was like, we were both shouting things through the cones, right? But this one didn't understand that what he was doing was worse okay, and more damaging and making the building a not pleasant place for people in a way it was different than his mate. Um, this kid genuinely didn't know right from wrong because the sort of language he was saying had been normalized in his life. 
And you see, we naturally have a sense of right and wrong, okay? We know that there is good and there is bad. There is right and there is evil. But in this fallen world, we need scripture to guide us to the particulars of God's will, okay? To the particulars of God's will. Scripture is our primary guide for living well in this world. We need it. We desperately need it. The more the Bible is in us, the more it will come out of us in our actions and attitudes. You see, our brains are formed by habits and rituals. So often our failures, okay, um, have more to do with entrenched habits than a choice we make in a moment. Sometimes when, 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 when we mess up, we're like, that was because in that moment I made the wrong choice. Um, but actually it's more to do with habits. Now when it comes to a choice, what the habits do is it makes it more like a choice between uh, cycling downhill or going up an ascent, okay? Our habits determine what way is easier when that moment of testing comes. So maybe it's more about making new habits than breaking old ones. And I believe a genuinely transforming habit is learning to meditate on God's word. On average, it takes 66 days to learn a new habit, 66 days. But after that, research says it will be as ingrained as brushing your teeth in the morning. Um, And I know, okay, that that, that some of us um, struggle more than others to sit down and open a Bible and read it, right? For, for any number of reasons. But there are other ways we can engage with Scripture, okay? Um, I've started out when I walk to work, just the, the ESV Bible app. You can just press play at any part, okay, off the Bible and listen to it, okay? So I've started like, you know what, I'm going to give up a couple of podcasts a week and instead just listen to the Bible for a couple of hours. Um, we talk a lot about the Lectio app. Um, these are little ways we can develop those life-enriching habits, that allow us to get the word of God into us so, like Jesus, we can be prepared um, to to, to say and know the word of God in those moments. Um, Finally, Jesus' defiant resistance had to do with the spirit of God in him. Um, This was also a test for the Holy Spirit that had been poured out on Jesus at his baptism just hours and days before. Here's the thing. Are we seeking to be filled with God's spirit? And are we cooperating with the Spirit in us? I know so often, uh, whenever I'm tested, um, the first thing I say to myself is, I just know I won't be able to get through this. I just know I won't be able to get through this. But maybe I would start to see different outcomes if I started by saying, Lord, I know and believe that your Holy Spirit is already in me, and I'm trusting in your presence and power in this situation. Let's trust the power of the one who is in us. The third thing I want us to reflect on this morning is the people Jesus wants us to be. Um, The people Jesus wants us to be. After they were saved from slavery, God commanded Israel, be holy as I am holy. Jesus tells us um, to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I don't think there's a more challenging phrase in the whole Bible. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here's the thing, guys. God wants a people who are hungry 
and holy. Who are hungry and holy. The first temptation Jesus faced in the wilderness wasn't worship me, let's rule the world together, right? It was you're hungry, so have something to eat. Now, I, I work in a place where there's a tuck shop, right? And I also uh, do long hours, three days a week. So that means by 5.45, when I know I'm still got like five, six hours left in the building, um, I'm going to eat whatever rubbish I can get my hand on to satisfy that hunger. Sometimes I genuinely want to eat the whole tuck shop. Um, some days I do eat the whole tuck shop, right? But here's the thing. Apparently, a lot of the time when we feel hungry, we're actually thirsty, that's one of those things like you always hear like people say, and I was like, is this genuinely true? It, it is. I Googled it, right? Um, um, our brain isn't great at reading uh, hunger signals, so 40% of us misinterpret thirst for hunger. The result is we can end up consuming the wrong thing, okay? And here's the thing. Um, if, our, if, our, if our signals of desire are weak, um, they can say, if I have this or I do this, or I don't do this, I'll be satisfied when actually what I need is God. Because God is my heart's deepest desire. It's what I'm hardwired for. It's just sometimes my brain isn't great at reading the signals, so I end up consuming the wrong thing. Um, one of the biggest and most important encouragements for me, um, um, as I... As I um, as I try to follow Jesus, is learning from the lives of people who have gone before me. And I love reading and hearing about the lives of the saints. Um, and I reckon they lived holy lives because they were insatiably hungry for God. Um, I particularly love a group called the Desert Fathers, who I'm sure they have talked about before. Um, these were um, a group of guys um, as... Uh, as Christianity was adopted as the official religion of the Roman Empire, and we moved from a situation where, where Christians were persecuted to where the, the, the former persecutors were appointed to positions of privilege in the church, right? Um, some um, Christians fled from the cities and from the center of civilization to the desert, okay, and were known as the Desert Fathers. Um, they moved from the city to the desert to cultivate their hunger, to cultivate their hunger, to sharpen their senses, um, to sharpen their senses so their brain and spirit could be perceive more strongly that God was what they were really hungry for. You see, as a church, God doesn't want us primarily um, to be relevant uh, or cool or effective. Those things aren't bad, Right? But so much more than that, God wants us to be a hungry people and a holy people. Um, Joshua's challenge to Israel was sanctify yourself to the Lord. Um, and holiness is one of those words that gets a bad rap, right? It's seen as an overtly religious word. I remember I just became a Christian. I think I was 19 and I went to a youth rally, um, a PCI youth rally. <laughs> And uh, someone gave a talk on holiness, and they said, everyone in the room, put up your hands if you watch Scrubs, right? That was a big show back then, right? Um, some people put up their hands, and then, then she said, put up your hands if you watch Grey's Anatomy. 
Some of, I think it's a terrible show, right? Says like, whatever. Um, some people put their hands up for that. Then she said, I watched, I watched one episode of Scrubs and that show was awful. It just isn't edifying, okay? Whereas Grey's Anatomy, I love that show, okay? And it is suitable, right? For, for young Christians like you to consume. Um, nonsense, guys, right? Um, you see, so often holiness... And our concept of holiness is reduced to a restrictive, subjective legalism, okay? But being made holy, um, that, that big word, sanctification, it's not so much about what we do or what we consume, it's what we give over to God. It's about what we choose to give over to God. Sanctification, becoming holy, it's when we say to God, this is yours now. This belongs to you. I'm giving it back to you, Lord. Use it however you see fit. It's about giving over to God. Um, and I'm speaking to myself here, guys, because for parts of my heart, I am terrified of, if I'm being honest. There are parts of me I don't want the Lord to shine a light on, let alone give those parts of me over to him to be used for his glory. But it's precisely at that moment that I, re- I need to remember who Jesus is and the strength of the love he has for me. Um, last week in worship, in response, at a little bit of a moment, um, and we were singing, Jesus, what a saviour. And it was just that line hit me so impactfully. You're constantly moving towards us. You're constantly moving towards us. And it just struck me that that's precisely how Jesus saves us, by constantly moving towards us. And the journey, the holiness, begins with an awareness that God is moving towards us and our weakness in our brokenness.